The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour, U.S. chip stocks take a hit after Huawei's U.S. blacklisting. As Chinese state media warns, the trade war will only make it stronger. Meanwhile, Germany's finance minister tells CNBC ending the current trade dispute is critical. We understand what is the, the, the problem for world economy at this moment. We know that this is because of man-made problems. So there is trade tensions all over the globe. And if they would be solved, this would have a big impact on growth. Washington stops its preferential trade deal with Turkey, but halves tariffs on steel imports to 25%, perhaps in a sign of thawing relations with Ankara. Uh, Sony shares surge after the tech company announces a 200 billion yen share buyback and unveils a strategic partnership with Microsoft. And the beginning of the end, or the end of the beginning, uh, Chilean quote there. Uh, Theresa May agrees to lay out a timetable for her departure as the British Prime Minister after the next attempt to push through her Brexit deal in June in uh, Parliament. know much about the theory of time. I don't know much about relativity as well. I know one or two things, just a couple of minor things about the markets as well. But I do want to combine the two because depending on your time frame, depends how your week's been really. Let's say you're a fund manager who's had a week playing golf on the Algarve and you went last Friday lunchtime and you came back, well, some stage today and you look at the market and you go, it's fine, nothing's happened to my portfolio. Because over the last week to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 0.3 of 1%. The S&P is down 0.2 of 1%. The Nasdaq down 0.24. So if you are that manager or that longer term investor, you just look and say, yeah, my portfolio is what it is. I'm kind of generally tracking these broader incidents uh, in, in, in indexes. Nothing, nothing's happened at all. But, but if you're a, a shorter term trader, you're someone who's very highly exposed to margin calls, you've got a load of stops in the market, you've got problems with liquidity as well, then you have had a right rollicking roller coaster of a ride this last week or so because you've seen uh, tumultuous declines uh, at the start of the week and then you've seen this rally back up to the levels where you are barely moved. So your concept of time in these markets is absolutely key. Absolutely key. And I know Jeff's got a word to talk about that as well. So let's have a quick look at the chip makers. I'm going to run through these charts. Uh, they came off. The, the, the industrial logic is a lot of these guys, including the likes of Qualcomm, down 4%, supply the likes of Huawei. And hence, if Huawei isn't getting into the US market so much, then they're a problem for Qualcomm. But isn't there a substitution somewhere? Isn't 5G still going to get built? Isn't the infrastructure rollout still going to happen? So, so just like when we look at one of these companies uh, that supplies, like ANS or something, that supplies Apple, and they say, yeah, but we're still smelling, selling smartphones. Android devices, but not selling Apple. So I'm wondering if the market's got that right or not. Quick look at the oil price as well. Again, two contrary factors going on here as well. One, you've got concern about Middle East tensions ratcheting up. On the other side, you've got concern about global growth coming down because of the trade tensions. So various situations, traders trying to negotiate their way through. Cut a long story short, we were up again in session to 93 bucks per 
uh, uh, barrel on Brent crude as well. Asian markets, again, having to negotiate these choppy waters as well, uh, down 1.5% on the Shanghai Composite, up 1% on the Nikkei. Again, very big country moves. Uh, and the opening calls for European markets, we are called lower, significantly lower on the European indices. But I just thought it was very interesting. We've had a couple of conversations with various guest hosts. Good morning, Jeff Cutmore. Yes. Uh, about these, this concept of time and, yes. and, and about... If you are looking at a portfolio over a longer period of time, you're not seeing much movement. We've been bumping along recent highs for a long time and not getting above those new highs. But if you are a day-to-day -day investor, and I have to say the hardest trading out there is day trading, and most people lose money at it. Let's be honest about it. Most people lose money day trading. <clears throat> you would have had all kinds of... <clears throat> I'm getting right. quite emotional. It's just too emotional. Up. I'm just yes. choking me up, these poor day traders. Yeah. But the fact is... <clears throat> I'm going to have to let you carry on in a second. But it's been a really tough time, and you would have potentially had yeah. margin issues. A variation margin would have gone up over the last week. Time has been very much on my mind as well. And you know that old market saw. It's not timing the market that counts. It's time in the market that matters. Mm -hmm. And that's what any long-term fund management company will tell you as you hand over your cash to them and they tell you not to worry, everything will be fine. But of course we know it hasn't been fine. And if you look at longer duration periods for the market, and thank you for DataTrek uh, doing the analysis here, the MSCI All World X US 16% below its 2008 highs. Now, that's a remarkable statistic because if you bought into the idea that it's time in the market, that's a decade of lost performance effectively. However, over that period, the S&P is up 84%. The Russell 2000 is 82% higher, which points to a very extraordinary outperformance by US markets over the last decade. And when you look at the individual uh, countries against the United States, it's even more stark, 151% upside over the decade if you put in dividends against um, high, uh, high double digit or, or, or sorry, low double digit, so sort of 10 to 15 percent for the other major indices. And that, just one more point to throw in, and I, th I thank Michael Hewson for this this morning. Let's bring this right up to the here and now. And he makes a very interesting point about how bizarre this week has been. What has changed on the China trade story? If anything, the omens are only getting worse for an agreement, and yet we had a sell-off on Monday, and we've had three days of rebound. On what basis? What justification for that behaviour? I couldn't agree more. Um, I haven't anything to add to that. Just two more points as well. One, to your point about the US markets outperforming, you do pay a premium. Everyone knows that. Just in one basic metrics yield argument, for instance, 2.5% yield on the S&P, whereas you get 4.5% on the FTSE. But as we've seen this week with Vodafone, that is not necessarily a cast iron yield uh, for those income players. The second point is, and depending on uh, how you trade these markets, value at risk, VAR, is how very often people value the amount of risk they have on their portfolio as well. The VAR on individual stocks, of course, would have been picking up on portfolios because of the, uh, the oscillation you're seeing. Does that mean more assets are becoming harder to own for those longer-term investors who don't want so much risk? And does that explain why so many people still have to go into the bond market? Ter terrific points. Um, let's move on. Let's pick up on the current uh, story on trade. The official newspaper of China's Communist Party, The People's Daily, says a trade war with the US will only make China stronger. The paper has added tariffs will never bring 
bring Beijing to its knees. Meanwhile, China's state planner said tensions with Washington have weighed on the country's economy. China's National Development and Reform Commission, however, described the impact of tariffs as, quote, controllable, adding it plans to roll out countermeasures when needed. The Trump administration has halted a preferential trade agreement with Turkey, which allowed some exports to enter the country tariff-free. Earlier this year, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer said Ankara was no longer eligible for the program because it is, quote, sufficiently economically developed. The U.S. also cut tariffs on imports of Turkish steel from 50% to 25% after they were doubled last year. Let's catch up with Sylvia, who is still in Brussels, where EU finance ministers are meeting amid trade tensions with the United States. And no doubt they will have been cheered by the suspension or delay of the auto tariffs. But that doesn't mean the war's over, Sylvia. Exactly, Jeff. But the point is that for the time being, the White House has not confirmed that it's delaying this decision on imposing car tariffs on Europe. So the European Commission institution you see right behind me is not commenting on this story. For now, Brussels is taking this cautious approach, waiting for the details of that potential postponement. But as you mentioned before, yesterday I spoke with different European finance ministers here in Brussels, and they indeed sounded relieved by the fact that a potential trade war with the United States is for now out of the table. Let's take a listen. Each day where we don't have a trade war between Europe and the United States is a good day. Uh, and the longer he postpone it, uh, the more we can work to get it off the table anyway. Well, I didn't say what was realistic. I said what we ought to do. And we really ought to do that. If we want to create jobs, if we want to give the consumers possibilities and opportunities, we should make a free trade agreement. But you probably know President Trump better than I do. So it is difficult for us to see the way forward. For a very good development of world economy, it's important that we increase trade and not increase new barriers. So it's a very good uh, message that there is now the chance for continuous talks for finding solutions and anyone is willing to, to be successful with that. And uh, if we understand what is the, the, the problem for world economy at this moment, we know that this is because of man-made problems. So there is trade tensions all over the globe and if they would be solved, this would have a big impact on growth. I think that we should uh, avoid uh, any kind of uh, sanctions, tariffs, and trade war, because uh, you know the deep conviction of uh, the French government entering into any kind of trade war would have a very negative effect on the global growth, both for the US, for China, and of course for all European countries. So we really have to do our best to avoid to enter into a logic of sanctions. So the European finance ministers I spoke here yesterday agreed that these tariffs would be uh, would hurt the U.S. economy, would dent the European economy, and would ultimately affect the the global growth as well. I have to say that the majority of the European countries want a trade deal with the United States. They're ready to start those negotiations. But some finance ministers here sounded showed some doubts whether that's going to materialize during the the Trump presidency. Yesterday, I also had a chance to speak with the Italian finance minister, Giovanni Tria, about the situation in Italy, and I'll be bringing you that sound in the next hour.
I am really excited about that. But in the meantime, I'm also very excited about being a Brit who's allowed to take part in the European elections. And my point about the European elections is you've got a whole host of incumbent governments who are going to do very, very, very badly as well. Uh, hence, is there a vested interest from some, dare I say it without naming which countries, France, uh, to not have an immediate deal with the United States and actually to um, act in a more nationalistic kind of way with some of the... Um, some of the rhetoric, so to speak, i.e. is Europe talking with one voice about wanting a trade deal and actually are domestic tensions going to thwart that? Well, the 28 European countries have voted on whether to give the European Commission, who, who, which is the institution that negotiates trade, trade deals on their behalf, um, they, the institution has this mandate to start the negotiations with the United States, but we know that in that meeting, France made it very clear that it's against having a trade deal with the United States. And the reason behind that is that President Macron believes that it's not, the, the, it's not right for the EU to have a trade deal with the United States for as long as President Trump does not commit to the latest climate change deals. But for now, the, United, the European Union is waiting for the White House to start those trade negotiations. Even though there are different opinions across the 28, the EU, the Commission, has a mandate to start those trade discussions. Excellent. Doing a fantastic job, by the way, if I haven't said it on air before. But thank you very much indeed for that, Sylvia. Now, Jeffrey, I saw a brilliant tweet yesterday. It was a young lady who may or may not be sitting in between us talking about whether she, with her uh, sharp elbows and high heels, would be faster across the Viva Tech forum mm -hmm. than a certain Usain Bolt. Oh, there she is. Karen, good morning to you. Good morning, Steve. Yes, Usain Bolt did indicate I may have had the edge because don't forget, he was trapped by all these people wanting selfies with him in a packed hallway, but I could duck and weave and get my way across the conference hall. We're going to be talking much more about Viva Tech and trade and tech disruption come together for the automakers. I've been speaking to Linda Jackson, the CEO of Citroën, that interviewed the French automaker coming away shortly. Shares in Sony are trading sharply higher, up more than 10% after the Japanese electronics maker announced a $1.83 billion share buyback. The company also unveiled a partnership with Microsoft that will see the two tech companies work together to develop cloud-based technology for streaming games and media. In a statement, the firms added they will explore ways to provide, quote, user-friendly AI experiences. Mm. Uh, very brave of you to go with the uh, Sony shares surge. Almost got that wrong. Right. Uh, shares in Baidu have slumped in extended hours trading after the Chinese search engine operator's second quarter revenue forecast fell short of expectations. This after the company swung to its first loss uh, since listing in 2015. Wow, hasn't had a loss in uh, 14 years. Uh, Baidu blamed the dip on, quote, challenging market conditions and government regulation of online advertising. Pinterest shares also fell after hours after the U.S. social media company posted a wider-than-expected quarterly loss in its first earnings report since going public in April. Aditi Roy has details. 
Pinterest shares are down after hours upon a big earnings miss for the company's first quarterly report post-IPO after being up as much as 8% before the close. Analysts were looking closely at the number of users. The company reported 291 million monthly active users, up 22% year over year. However, that's a slower rate of growth than the 37% in 2017 and in 18. Those refer to global users. If you're looking at the U.S. only, monthly active users grew only 6% this year. Average revenue per user globally was 73 cents, up 26% year over year. Analysts were also looking for international growth. And if you break down revenue, top line growth internationally was 107% versus U.S. growth, which was 51% year over year. Investors were also looking for any color on the company's path to monetization. CEO Ben Silberman addressed products for advertisers during the call. We've also made progress on improving our products for businesses and advertisers in diversifying our advertiser base. We've doubled the international markets where we serve ads, we've streamlined retailers' ability to upload their catalogs to Pinterest, and we've made video available for all advertising objectives. Upon an analyst question, the company added what advertisers say they like about the platform is the opportunity to find new customers. Aditi Roy, CNBC Business News, San Francisco. Coming up later, our U.S. colleagues will speak with Pinterest CEO Ben Silberman. That's an exclusive interview at Midnight CET. The Chinese coffee chain looking to take on Starbucks, Luckin, has reportedly priced its IPO at 17 bucks per share. At the top end of the expected range, CNBC sources have confirmed the pricing and say the group has increased the size of the listing to 33 million shares. The two-year-old company, two-year-old company, wow, has just... Uh, over 2,300 opens. Isn't that extraordinary? The speed of which this company's moved. Two years old, and it's got 2,300 open stores, and is looking to double this number in a year. Uh, it was valued at nearly $3 billion in its last funding round, and will list under the ticker LK on the NASDAQ today. Isn't that extraordinary? It's the scale. 4,600 stores within about three or four years of, of uh of startup. Anyway, our US colleagues will speak to the CFO of Luckin at 6.50 Eastern. That's uh, 12.50 Central Eastern European time today. Uh, shares in US suppliers to Huawei dipped after the Trump administration placed the tech giant and its affiliates on a blacklist, which bans uh, these companies from buying American technologies. Um, let's take a very quick look at these players. Qualcomm is, I guess, the notable standout there, 4% uh, lower. Uh, big pardon, Xilinx as well, down 7.3%. Well, let's get out to Karen, who is uh, living and breathing all things tech at VivaTech in Paris. And Karen, I don't think I've said it on air, but my, what a great doorstep with uh, President Macron yesterday. Well done, you. Thanks, Steve. It was so busy here yesterday. Just thousands of people wanting to spend some time with the president and also to get him to have a look at some of their technology. And there's a lot of tech uh, being showcased here this week from all sorts of industries. And that's the story now that we're seeing. Many companies need to find out how these tech trends, AI, cloud computing, the Internet of Things, all work with their own businesses. Automakers, this is a sector we speak about often, and they've got a ton of different tech trends to try and adopt. Autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles have been the two big trends that are coming their way. We've seen Citroen, a French automaker, try and showcase some of those trends. And a concept car yesterday unveiled by 1919 is what it's called. And effectively, it's to get you beyond city limits. So we start talking about range. So the sort of range that they can deliver around 500 miles or about 850 kilometers, depending depending what, what metric you look at, which is very close to Tesla. 
But the problem with this is that Tesla has that product on the market now. Citroen's talking about a product that would uh, be coming to the market if it went into production. It's only a concept, and that would be 2030. And you think, well, that is a long way away when you're trying to play catch up on this market. But the other big theme, autonomous vehicles, uh, that's what uh, this technology has embedded in the car. So delegating out the driving to someone else, which means the car must be fully connected so there's something else to do in the car while there is no driving taking place. So it's all a big pie in the sky type of stuff right now the automakers are talking about. That's just one vehicle. The other vehicle that the car has been working on is a very small, compact car, like ultra compact, to the point where it competes with scooters and bikes. And that's also a concept. So plenty in the works. But if you consider also what's been facing the automakers this year, trade wins. And we've seen in China there have been issues. And this is a car maker very posed to that market, very poised to that market. It's got about 27% market share there. So it's been battling some of the headwinds with trade tariffs and the, the trade war that's been playing out between the United States and China. But in the meantime, there's been a little bit of good news around trade tariffs not coming into force against European automakers for six months. President Trump has delayed that. However, the threat still looms. So take a listen to Linda Jackson, the CEO of Citroen, what she had to say about that looming threat for the industry. It's still looming as a potential threat. And, and you know, it's, it's a danger. And this is why, to be honest with you, we need to be quite strong in Europe as well, because we need to all stick together. Um, it, it's still a threat. And, you know, I don't, I don't import car, I don't export cars into North America. But clearly, I'm in China. Uh, potentially, the group wants to go into North America. And we have, to, we have to understand how that works. So, of course, anything that stops free trade is a concern for any, any manufacturer or anybody in the world. I can understand protectionism to a certain extent, uh, but there's also an element that we have to not have uh, just protectionism. It's about having trade and being able to manage equally between between different regions. So, yeah, it's, it's a real concern. There was also a false dawn around a trade resolution where everyone was primed that there was going to be the end of the road materialising soon between the US and China relationship. It's not happened. What does that mean in terms of whether there could be more pressure on the economy in China and the United States, whether there's going to be decisions made on ordering uh, a lot of cars in China? What are you anticipating now as we don't have this resolution? I think um, trying to anticipate anything in this chaotic world is absolutely impossible these days. So it's impossible to say what we can do. All we can do is, is compete as we are. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that we will still feel find sense and they will find an agreement. Um, but to be honest with you, you can't anticipate anything in this very chaotic world. Linda Jackson, they're talking to me about the trade winds, but she didn't blame all of the slowdown that we've seen in the China car market on trade winds. Some of us, of course, around sales tax changes, also the pivot towards electric vehicles that's been very strong in the China market. They've also been a long-time player in the mainland market with a partnership with Dongfang. And I asked her about some of the trends that have been materialising in autos, because don't forget, we went from that phase where the Chinese just wanted to have a car, but then it had to be a luxury car. Now it has to be an SUV. That SUV trend very much still alive. She said uh, that's what they want. A little bit of electric too coming into the mix. I thought it'd be much more futuristic, like every car has to be connected and needs you know, these types of devices in the car. Hasn't quite moved in that direction just yet. Stephen Jeff. Thank you very much indeed, Karen. Um, Jeffrey, you've got some exciting news about a new round of funding for Deliveroo. Well, so there's a bit of news here, and let's just give this to the audience. So uh, the news is Deliveroo says Amazon has led a $575 million 
financing round in Deliveroo. The reason I think people are getting very excited about this yes. is that there are reports that Amazon is actually going to take a significant stake in Deliveroo, and this represents a major investment by Amazon into a UK tech business. So there is something happening here, and Amazon is clearly committing real money to a UK food delivery business. Um, but um, you and I have both been trying to find the financial data for this company. So we, we both, I think, looked at the, the latest result we could find, which was the annual report for 2017, which I found is 172 pages long. So there's a lot of financial information there. Yeah. But all the exciting stuff's at the top on page two. The revenues were up 60%. Europe revenues up 37%, 60%. MENA revenues up 87%. But I had to go to page 102 to find the bit I wanted. Mm -hmm. And that was the fact that the net loss in 2016 was 195 million uh, euros. And the net loss in 2017 was 348 million euros. So those revenues are amazing. But they're losing money hand over fist. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.